0: Week 11, positional living. Continuing in our study of Acts, our last message was called Walking in the Way. Not the Easter message, but the week before last week, Walking in the Way. Just to remind you, to give you a little recap of where we are in Acts, Saul had an experience with God on the way to actually kill Christians. And now he began to humble himself and walk in the way rather than walk in his own way. His own way was that he thought that the entire idea of Christianity was false. He had his own belief system. He wanted to take away every person that believed in the way, the truth, and the life that was Jesus. So on the way to taking out what was called the way, if you remember, that's what they call Christians. It was a movement called the way. On the way to taking out the way, God interrupted his walk and said, hey, I have a better way for you. And Saul became a convert. And in these last couple of verses of last week's message, we read that the believers took actually had to take Saul to his hometown to stay a while because some of the Jews at the time tried to murder Saul. Well, when they took Saul to the hometown, it said, there are a few things that happened to the church. One was that the church had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. Um, Two was that the believers grew stronger living in the fear and reverence of God. And three was that with the help of the Holy Spirit, the church grew in numbers. That's where we're at with... Uh, where we're at next is that the church was growing in numbers with the help of the Holy Spirit and they were growing stronger. Everyone shout stronger living in the reverence. I think there's something weird going on with my mic. Um, I don't know if we can try to fix that. We can't use one of these because it's got reverb and stuff on it. So we're going to have to wait for Jacob. Uh, If you're viewing, just bear with us. We're going to, we're figuring out what it is, but the church was growing stronger the church was growing in numbers the church was growing stronger and living in the fear and reverence of god and i believe that as we are in the midst of this difficult time a trying time it would do us good to remember that our peace should never be governed by our conditions our peace should be governed by our by our position everyone say position by our position in christ by our position and not our condition. Our position, not our condition. And if we would live in that position of fear and reverence, we too, just like the church in Acts, would grow stronger in him, the church would rise and we would grow. Not by strategy, not, not by what we try to do, but because we are living positionally under God. Well, what do I mean by this idea of living positionally? When you are saved, you are no longer viewed by the Father based on your sin. Now, there is still judgment past. I think the worst theology we can preach in the church is that we're not judged. There is judgment, but it's a different kind of judgment. We are no longer getting the kind of judgment that is an eternal judgment of death or life when we are saved by the blood of Jesus. But now there is a judgment that is more so consequence and conviction. It's that you are living in your position as a child of God in the right standing of God, or are you living based off of your condition? Are you living in the position of a righteous son or daughter of God, or are you living in based off of your Condition: Are you living in the truth of your ability to walk in right standing because of your covering under the blood of Jesus, or are you walking conditionally and you sin every chance you get because the wind blows a little differently and we react and we flip out? Because, see, God no longer judges, oh, they sin, so they're going to hell. No, 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 you're saved by grace. We embrace that. We're covered under the blood. We're saved. We are saved. We are. We are now judged unto death by our salvation, our covering in the blood. If we're saved, sure, eternity in Christ. But there is a judgment based off of what we're doing with what we now have. God doesn't judge you to heaven or hell after salvation but he will judge, are you living positionally in that salvation or are you still living conditionally and instead of living as a child of God, you're living as in the state you were before you saw salvation. And what happens is we have a bunch of believers in the church who says, I'm saved. But when something happens, and I said it earlier, the wind blows a little different. Something happens in life, the, the, our legs are kicked out from under us. When the smallest thing happens, it's like we shove all of our beliefs out the window and we revert to the old man that we say has been resurrected in the blood of Jesus. Peter writes this about it in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17-19. through 19. And remember that the heavenly Father to whom you pray has no favorites. Isn't, isn't that a peaceful thought? God's got no favorites, hallelujah. Someone shout hallelujah. Remember that the heavenly father to whom you pray has no favorites. He will judge, for those of you who were doubting what I said, he will judge or reward you according to what you do. So just in case you thought I was teaching something wrong, here the scripture says, remember the heavenly father has no favorites. He will judge or reward you according to what you do. Judge or reward. He'll judge you or reward you not according to what you do. So you must live in reverent fear of Him during your time here as temporary residence. You must live in reverent fear of Him during your time here as temporary residents. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. It was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. You see, the believers got it at this time. They said, Oh, we're now temporary residents in this fallen world. And while we are here, we can no longer live according to our conditions as needy, poor, without people. We're no longer going to live by our conditions of We are sinful or the condition of we're being tossed to and fro by the winds and the waves, by life's chaos. No, no, no. We're no longer going to live by those conditions because we're temporary residents here. And as temporary residents here, we have a calling to live differently. We are going to live as the prized possession of the Father, the Creator, who bought us with something much more valuable than gold or silver which lose its value according to man-made systems. No, no, no. What we were bought with was with the everlasting spotless blood of Christ, the land that was slain. And it all begins with, he has no favorites, and he'll judge or reward you according to what you do. Not if you do bad, I'll judge you to hell. It means what you get in the eternity of heaven... And heaven on earth will be dependent on what you do as a temporary resident during the time of living on a fallen earth. You see, we need a wake-up call, church. We are living here temporarily because this is all going to be gone. It says that there's going to be a new earth, and we're going to be put back on it. So if we're here right now, there's a reason we're here temporarily, and we have got to stop looking like the thing we're called to be a temporary resident of. He says, My judgment will be do you look like a temporary resident? Or do you look like you have made yourself at home in the midst of a fallen world? Do you look like the place I've called you to change? Or do you look like some do you look strange to the world? Do you confuse the ways of the world based off of your living in Christ? Do you live based off of your position as a perfect, spotless child of God? Not by what you did, but by what my son Jesus did. Do you live positionally as a child of God to such a degree that the world looks at you like you're stupid and you're dumb and you're crazy and that all the ways you react just don't make sense? 1 Corinthians 1.27 says it like this. Instead, God chose the things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And He chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. The way we are supposed to live is position in a position, I'm sorry, the way we are supposed to live is positioned in a way that will look stupid to most the way we react to things, the way we talk, the way we walk. Our belief system. It's not supposed to make sense. It's supposed to look foolish. But but I think there's something in that verse that we often overlook. It says that it will look foolish. It will look powerless. But it doesn't mean that they are foolish or powerless. It will simply look that way to the world that has fallen because your temporary residency will not be normal to them. It will look that way and because it looks powerless doesn't mean it is powerless. It's actually very powerful. And why is it powerful? Because God uses a thing that seems like it's not powerful to shame those that think they have power by seeing power in something that doesn't seem like it makes sense. Let me just break it down in this way. You may think that the best way to get revenge is to get even. But God says, turn the cheek, let them strike it. And the power in that humility is that God himself will avenge you. Think about that. We take everything into our own hands in the world. We want revenge. We want to get even. God says, if you will be so humble as to let them hit you again and again, I'll take care of it. I don't know about you, but I have peace that God will take care of my enemies. God will take care of my good evens. I don't need to put that on my plate anymore. I don't need to carry that weight on my shoulders. It may look stupid to you that someone cuts me down and I keep taking it and I don't react. But God uses something that doesn't look powerful and works it in the most powerful way and it makes them look stupid. And it shames them in what they thought was stupid in the first place. Think about the idea of giving. It's stupid to tithe in the midst of a time where we're all depending on a stimulus check. And God says, I will take something that looks stupid and multiply in a time where it seems like there's nothing to be multiplied. But where is your faith? Are you living positionally, saying I'm going to put my seed into the ground and let God bless it, or are you living conditionally? Well, I can't give right now because I'm laid off. Position or condition? Am I talking to anybody? We live conditionally. We freak out, we flip out. We, we, we put up all these things around us because we are so scared that something's going to happen and we forget to live in the position that we are not lenders, we are not the borrowers, but everyone's trying to borrow everything right now. Where is our faith gone? Positional living. And living positionally under that is hard. It's hard to live positionally under this idea as temporary residence. It's hard to live in this idea that God has no favorites and he's going to judge what I do, and I've got to live as holy, and I've got to live as perfect. That's a big call. So a few verses before this, Peter actually gives us some things to consider. In 1 Peter 1, 13-16, he says this, So prepare your minds for action." and exercise self-control. Prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all of your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back in your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. I'm going to read that part again. Do not slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better back then. Scripture. You didn't know any better back then, but now you must be holy in everything you do. Not some things, not most things, but everything you do. I get so sick of Christians saying, let me get that one. No, no, no. You must be holy in everything you do. Just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say you must be holy because I am holy. Peter says, now that you know who you are positionally as children of God, you've got to live like it. So, and the question is well, how do I live like I'm perfect and holy when everyone knows good and well I'm not perfect and holy? How am I supposed to be holy in everything you do? How can I be holy in everything? Number one, we just read it, prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Another version says this, gird up your loins of your mind and be sober. In other words, get rid of loose and sloppy thinking. We've got too many people with loose and sloppy thinking. Bring your mind under the control and in submission to God. Set your mind on things above and get it off of anything else. The way you live holy is set your mind on one thing. Get it in, get, gird up your, prepare your minds for action. Everywhere you go, be ready. When you go to the grocery store, am I ready to hear from God? Or am I too busy trying to look at six feet rules? Prepare your minds. Are you so busy trying to find the last pack of toilet paper, but you missed out on the person who is literally panicking with depression because you were not preparing your mind for action in the moment of a ministry opportunity? Exercise self-control. Be sober. Get disciplined so that you avoid extremes in your emotions. Get to the place where your emotions no longer control you. You submit it. You call the shots as a child under the control of God. Your emotions should no longer control you. Get disciplined to avoid extremes and be submitted to what God wants in a moment. Prepare your minds. Exercise self-control. Well, Okay, I prepared my mind for action. I'm exercising self-control. What else? He says, number two, put all your hope in your salvation in Christ. You see, the grace that is salvation is not just for your past and your present, but it's also for your future. It is the thing that allows you to enter in the literal courts of heaven and sit at the Father's table. He says, put all of your hope in your salvation that is evident one day. Here's the thing, guys. One day, two day, because of salvation, you're with the Father. One day, literally. And if all of your hope is put in that, nothing can move you. When you live positionally, you understand No matter what, I am not separated from him, and I'm with him, and one day I'm going to be at his table with no separation whatsoever. If you live conditionally, it's where is God when the smallest thing happens. Why did he let me down when the the biggest thing happens? Do you live positionally, or do you live based off of conditional moments? your job loss, COVID-19, death, panic. Do those things move your reality of your position at the table of God? Walk and live positionally, not conditionally. You see, the conditions of the church in Acts was getting even more tested at this point. Stephen had been stoned, murder have been attempted on Saul. Many arrests and threats have been made on the apostles and the disciples, but it never caused them to waver. I wonder if you live conditionally rather than positionally, what causes you to waver? What causes you to regress? What causes you to back down? Are you truly living based off of your position as a perfected, right-standing son or daughter of God? Or does the condition of your day define you? There's some Proverbs I want to read. Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart above all else. Because it determines the course of your life. Proverbs 23.26 says, oh, my son, give me your heart. May your eyes take delight in following my ways. And Proverbs 22.17 says, listen to, listen to the words of the wise. Apply your heart to my instructions what you give your heart and your eyes and your ears to. Remember, guard your heart. Give me your heart. Take May your eyes take delight. Listen to the words of the wise. What you give your heart, what you give your eyes, and what you give your ears to have a lot to do with whether or not you're living based off the conditions that surround you or your position that defines you. Because if I put my eyes And my ears and my heart on God, nothing moves me. But if I put my heart and my eyes and my ears on all the circumstantial stuff, everything will move me. Because it's conditional. We question where's God when there's many deaths in our nation when God never left. Why? Condition, not position. We question family. We question everything off of a condition when we won't take position. It's a lost reality in the church. It's a lost reality in the world. Well, why am I talking about all this? Kyle, why why are you talking about all all, all this conditional living and positional living? And I thought we were a church on fire and we were going into the book of Acts. Well, after threats and murders and arrests, who we were just talking about, Peter writing all those things, Watch what Peter does in Acts chapter 9, picking up in verse 32. Meanwhile, Peter traveled from place to place, and he came down to visit the believers in the town of Lydda. Notice this shift. This is, this is where it's going to get good. Oh, is this all right? Okay. I know I'll say that all the time. Just deal with it. Lean with it, rot with it. Notice... Notice this shift. Up to this point, the apostles mostly stayed in Jerusalem with the exception of dealing with Saul. And all the people came to them for ministry. But now Peter was traveling from place to place, traveling to a town called Lydda, which was about 35 miles from Jerusalem, not exactly a short walk. But he's going from place to place to place up until getting to Lydda. Someone say, shift with it. Shift with it. Are you living so positionally that you don't get hindered by the conditions of a pattern that you have become accustomed to? That when God says make a shift, you're ready to make the shift. Because so many of us get caught up in this pattern of life that we don't know how to shift with it. And what we do is when we notice some things start to change, we wait for conditions to change for the shift instead of realizing that if we would shift the position according to our position, that the conditions that surround us would start to change. Because it shouldn't be the conditions that influence us. It should be that the conditions are influenced by us because I am not going to make a shift with God based off of all this stuff around me. It's I'm going to make a shift with God because I am not focused on all of this. I've got my heart and my eyes and my ears on Him, and when He tells me to go, no matter what, I'm going. Think about the conditions. Death threats, murders persecution, jail time. And in the midst of all that, it wasn't happening when they were all in the upper room. When all that starts to go, all of a sudden Peter says, it's time to get out more. Because he was not looking at the conditions of, hey church, let's strategize. Mm -hmm. He said, I'm a positioned son of God. And he told me to go. Peter recognized there's now is a time to shift what we are used to because I live positionally and my God told me conditionally, it looks like you need to stay put, but I've got plans for you and I'm telling you to go. Next verse, Acts 9, 33. He goes to this town called Lydda, verse 33. There he met a man named Annias, who had been paralyzed and bedridden for eight years. Peter said to him, "Ananias, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your sleeping mat.
1: And he was healed instantly.
0: And then the whole population of Lydda and Sharon saw Ananias walking around and they turned to the Lord. Because of walking in his positional living, not conditionally, But shifting because of the position he had in Christ, Peter came across and was able to minister to a man he would have never encountered. And I believe many of us miss assignments and opportunities because we're waiting on conditions of our life to be the arrows that point to ministry time instead of seeing, hearing, and living positionally, being ready and vigilant at all times when the Father says, go. And you want to know why we're not ready? Because we don't understand our position. We're still trying to prove ourselves. We're still trying to measure up. I've heard it from from people all the time. God's not going to use me because you don't know what's going on in my private life. Yes, he does know what's going on. He understands where you're at, but he, he does not see you based off of where you're at. He's going to judge that, but it's got nothing to do with your position. Your position has already been judged by whether or not you call Him your Savior or not. The moment you say He is your Savior, your are positioning Him is judged. You're perfect. You're righteous. Now it's time to start walking in that position. But you're still saying no to Him because all you see is the condition. Right now, conditionally, it's I've got to protect me and my family when positionally God may be asking you to make a call. God may be calling you to carry someone's groceries at the store even though you're told to stay far away. Maybe God's calling you to pay for someone's bill because they got laid off. But you're so focused on I'm, I'm tight myself that you're not even thinking that you're the lender and you're not the borrower, as Scripture says. No, none of that's in your mind because you're conditionally living. And because Peter lived in a position to hear and listen to God and not the conditions that should have caused him to stay away from the travel or the ministry, not just Annie has got up and walked, but an entire population of people came to know Jesus because they saw a crippled man walk. Do, do you see what could happen right now in this time if we would just live positionally? And Peter even called this man to live positionally. He doesn't just say, get up and walk. He says, roll up your mat. He says, don't leave it so that you'll be tempted to go back to it. Because your position is no longer down on the mat. Your position is now you can walk. So don't leave something to go back to. But that's what we do. God has called us from the grave, called us from death, called us to life. We're positioned in Him, but we are conditioned to going back to the mat. To going back to the habit, to going back to the way. Because we're not preparing our minds. We're not taking control. We're not being sober. We're not being vigilant. Jesus healed a man who had a mat. And when he healed the man, he said, this healing proves that I forgive your sins. How does healing that man prove a forgiving of sins? Because he said that sins no longer carry the authority to judge you. He says, only I do. And my judgment is not based off of what you've done. My judgment is off of my blood. So be healed and walk. I don't care what the condition is that put you here. You walk in your position in me, in Christ. Continuing on in Acts nine verse thirty six, in Peter's travels it says there was a believer in Joppa named Tabitha, which in Greek is Dorcas. Good thing she was named Tabitha. <laughs> she was always doing kind things for others and helping the poor. Well, about this time she became ill and died. Her body was washed for burial and laid in the upstairs room. But the believers had heard that Peter was nearby at Lydda, so they sent two. They sent two men to beg him, please come as soon as possible. So Peter returned with them, and soon as soon as he arrived, they took him to the upstairs room. The room was filled with window, windows. Oh, I'm sorry, windows. The room was filled with widows who were weeping and showing him the coats and other clothes Dorcas had made for them. I want you to think about these conditions now. Tabitha, Dorcas, was a great woman, helped the poor. She'd made coats and clothes to give out to all these needy people. Marty, if you're watch, watching, you weren't the first one to come up with people helping people. It was a Tabitha thing back in the day. <laughs> she was helping the people. No one asked Peter to heal the girl. I want you to notice this. They didn't beg Peter saying, come heal her. They just wanted Peter to come see. They accepted her death. Because look at the conditions. They had already prepared the body for burial. And when they got there, they were showing off all the things that Tabitha made. You know what we call that today? A memorial service. They had no intention of healing or resurrecting. They they were at peace. She was a great woman. She lived a great life. She died. Let's have memorial service. Let's get Peter here. Let's show him what a great woman she was. And we are so so quick to accept conditions as God's will because we never live positionally. But Peter did. So look what Peter does when he gets there. Look in verse 40, Acts 9, 40 through 41. Peter asked them all to leave the room. And then he knelt, and then he prayed. And turning to the body, he said, get up, Tabitha. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up, and he gave her his hand and helped her up. And then he called in the widows and all the believers, and he presented her to them alive. Notice what he did. He told them to leave. And he prayed. He was going to ask God before accepting the conditions that surrounded this woman. But that's not not all that's going on here. Because I want to read you a story that Jesus did when Peter walked with him prior to this. And it's found in Mark chapter 5, verses 35 through 42. This is speaking about Jesus. While he was still speaking to her, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue, and they told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now, referring to Jesus. But Jesus overheard them and said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith. then Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let anyone go with him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing. So he went inside and asked, What's all this commotion? What's all this weeping? What's all this wailing? The child isn't dead, she's only asleep. The crowd laughed at him. So look what happens. Jesus made them all leave, and he took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room. The girl was lying. Holding her hand, he said to her, Talitha, which means little girl, get up. And the girl who was 12 years old immediately stood up and walked around. They were overwhelmed and totally amazed. Do you see it? Jesus told them to leave. Peter told them to leave. Jesus said to the little girl, get up. Peter said, Tabitha, get up. You see, Peter wasn't led by the conditions of let's just accept this as truth. Peter was being led positionally not by what his mind was conditioned to believe was possible, but by the example that Jesus led him in. And Peter simply walked in the way that Jesus led him to walk. Positionally, as a child of God holding the authority of heaven in all he was. And in forty verses 42 and 43 of Acts chapter 9, when Tabitha got up, it says the news spread through the whole town and many believed in the Lord, and Peter stayed a long time in Joppa living with Simon, a tanner of hides. Peter had gotten to a place where he was no longer concerned with condition, and he wasn't going to accept anything that was conditional. He had one thing on his mind and his heart and his ears. He wasn't going to listen to weeping. He wasn't going to listen to wailing. He wasn't going to listen to the fact that this guy on the ground was crippled he wasn't going to have all that he wasn't going to let conditions tell him where to go or what to do or what to accept he said i'm going to live positionally i'm going to look at what jesus taught me and what he did and i'm going to ask and i'm going to kneel down and i'm going to pray and if that man's supposed to walk i don't care how long he's been down he's going to walk and if that woman's supposed to live i don't care how good it was i don't care how much they prepared her body for burial i don't care how great memorial service it was if she's supposed to live i'm going to tell her to get up just like Jesus taught me. I am not going to live based off my conditions. I'm going to live in my position as a son or daughter of God who holds the authority of the kingdom of heaven in my hand. I may not be perfect. I may mess up all the time. That may be my condition, but it does not affect my position. And I'm going to start walking by it. I'm going to exercise self-control of my mind. I'm going to get it ready. I'm going to be vigilant. I'm going to put my hope, all of it, in the salvation that is Jesus, knowing that I'm going to join the Father, knowing that I'm with him right now. That's my hope. People were believing and coming to know God more and more, all because Peter was doing one thing, living positionally. And speaking of positionally, and I'm closing with this. I know it's not a long message tonight. If you reread verse 43, it says Peter stayed a long time in Chopa living with Simon, a tanner of hides. Living with a tanner of hides wasn't just a cool detail. According to the laws of the time, a tanner, for those of you that might not know what that is, it's someone who treated the skins of an animal to produce leathers and such they had to live at least 75 feet outside of a village because of his constant uncleanness with stripping the skins of dead animals. And it was actually forbidden to associate with anyone who routinely worked with dead animals. That's how taboo it was to even have a relationship with a tanner. And Peter, this Jewish guy, who threw away the faith that he grew up in to believe in Jesus, was staying with someone that no one accepted. Because Peter was becoming less and less concerned with his tradition and ceremony and being more concerned with position according to the work of God. Because what we're about to see next week is him being in the home of a man that everyone else considered unworthy of a relationship would set him up for the entire next chapter of Acts, seeing God work through dreams and visions. It would have never happened had he not simply said, do I listen to the condition and say, I can't associate with that? Or do I let God tell me to do something that looks foolish and dumb to confound the wise? so that he would get glory. We have got to lay down our traditions and the ways we look, the ways and the the way we do things and our customs. We've got to look away from our conditions and we've got to start to live out our position as citizens of heaven so that we would become the church on fire that would carry out the will of God. That's positional living. That nothing would define what we do, where we go, or what we say. Except the fact that we are identified as his, no matter what. Amen?